0: If you wouldn't mind standing or remain standing for the reading of God's word. Um, At this time, our students are dismissed to their classes, our junior high and also our um, elementary. Before I read, um, Adam actually was supposed to preach today. I know he's been working hard on this final message in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. But he called last night about 930, my house, and he's really sick. So um, he's not deathly sick. He's not on his deathbed. Um, and he does not have COVID, okay? Um, so you don't need to... You can pray for him, but he's, he, he will be okay. So I am going to be not preaching his message. Um, I have had this uh, these verses in Revelation rolling around in my head and, and uh, put them together into a sermon this morning. So it's always interesting when God changes plans. It could be an adventure. Um, so that's this morning. Well, this morning our scripture reading is found in... Ephesians chapter 6, the message is titled, The Fight, and it's going to be out of Revelation 5, 7, 8, and 12, but this passage by St. Paul is a perfect lead-in. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you have done. I thank you for the mighty work that you have done in Jesus Christ, in his dying, in his rising to life. We thank you for your promises that though things look dim and dark now, a new day is coming, the King will return, all creation will once again thrive, and that we will rise and stand with him on that day. Father, I pray that you would quicken your church, your people. Remind us, Lord, of who we are in you. Remind us of the task that you've given to us. Remind us of the divine power communicated through the gospel of Jesus. That we may live it, love it, and proclaim it. Help me, Lord, deliver this message, which you obviously have planned. And I pray that you'd feed your people, both here and At home, in Christ's name, amen. I'm going to start with a question that might sound kind of funny. And that question is, how do you fight a demon? How do you fight a demon? Now, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you might think, well, all you need is a magical staff like Gandalf the Grey, slam it down on the stone bridge and say, you shall not pass. The question is, how do you fight the devil. Now some, in hearing me say that, are thinking, it's so passe to even say that. It's embarrassing to, to talk in a church about the idea that there are devils and there's a Satan and there's demons. So old school, so yesterday, so mythological. And yet the Bible, from beginning to end, from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 20, and all the way in between, insists that we face an enemy that is, that is more than human. As Paul said, we don't rest, wrestle against flesh and blood, and by saying that, he's talking about humans. We're not wrestling against political parties, ultimately. We're not wrestling against human philosophies, ultimately. But there's something behind them that is far more powerful, far more sinister, and far more destructive, that we cannot see. Now, humans can collude with the demonic, the chief example, of course, is the great conspiracy of all times. There are such things as conspiracies, and there are fake conspiracies. But we're told that the Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities, along with one of Jesus' own disciples, colluded with Satan to put to death the Lord of glory. We face an enemy that is, that is, that is more than human. Not flesh and blood, principalities, powers of darkness, cosmic powers. Paul says, well, how how do we engage them? How do we fight? It's a really important question. Because if you don't understand who the enemy is, you end up taking the wrong weapons into the fight. It's like taking a a Q-tip into a knife fight. Are our weapons cogent, compelling arguments made on Facebook? (laughs) A pithy little tweet, filling out your absentee ballot, all of which has its place in our modern society, I suppose. How do we fight? How do we engage? Because there is a general feeling amongst Christians, and I think maybe even non-Christians, that we as a society are unhinged. That is, we're we're like a ship that has lost its anchor, lost its moorings, lost its sails, and we are drifting into a dark sea with nothing but destruction before us. We have, as a people, I should say, our society as a people, willingly offer the lives of the unborn on the altar of free and selfish choice. People declare independence from their biology, choosing to become something other than God made them. And I think a strong argument can be made that such things are expressions of divine judgment, according to Romans 1. That when we worship the creature rather than the creator, it all breaks loose and God gives a people over to their unnatural desires. And we're here. Can I just say that? We're here. We're seeing it live around us. And it's more than flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers. So how do we engage? How do we fight? So I think that's a massively important question for us. Now Paul writes this. He says, this is taken out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Let me just read that one more time. I just... Feel it. He's saying, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not human. We are not to use human means by which to engage darkness, which is behind much of what we see around us. But the implication is our weapons have divine power, divine omnipotent power to destroy things that seem so strong. Fortresses. So what are these weapons? And today is a, is a reminder of things you probably already know. The question is, do you believe and do you live them? Do I believe and do I live them? Well, the book of Revelation, which we have been looking at on Wednesday nights and which we're going to be looking at in the months ahead, is a vivid display, portrayal of light versus darkness, of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan, the beast versus the lamb the enemy against the saints of God. And in, the, in this book, we're also given the weapons of warfare that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to draw out three, the magical three, the trinity of weapons. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 gives us two, and then chapter 5 will give us a third. I'm going to start with chapter 12. And I'm going to begin in verse 9 so you can get the flow and context. John writes what he sees, and again, he's delivering a message through symbol. It says, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He has thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. That's the one who accuses us before God. In verse 11, this is such a great text. It says, And they, that is the saints, the believers, the followers of Christ have conquered him. That is, they've conquered the dragon, they've conquered the devil, they've conquered the serpent of old by the blood of the lamb. By the blood of the lamb. The first way that we engage the enemy and conquer him is by blood, by his blood. It brings us back to the core, back to the center, back to the most important event in human history, the death of Christ. We learned earlier in Revelation that because Jesus gave his life, that he bled as the slain lamb, that he was worthy to receive the scroll. That is, he was worthy to receive all authority as the sovereign of history. Why? For by his blood, he purchased for God a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be priests and a kingdom. By his blood... He is our sovereign. By his blood we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness where we were enslaved to death and sin to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. By his blood. So it's by the blood that Jesus exercises sovereignty. By his blood that we're transferred from darkness into light. It's by his blood that we are transformed as 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 Adam has been talking to us. Transformed from one degree of glory to another. And it's by his blood that we have the hope of resurrection forward. The point being, our first defense, our first offense, is to rely completely on the blood of Christ alone. To rely completely. To remember our only refuge in a world of sin, our only refuge, as Satan accuses us, our only refuge is the blood of Jesus. That's it. It's not the blood of Jesus plus my passion. It's not the blood of Jesus plus my performance. It's not the blood of Jesus plus my smarts. It's the blood of Christ alone that is our fortress of salvation. And to rely upon it each day and to be reminded, you know, I no longer belong to this world. My citizenship is not here. It's somewhere else purchased for me by the blood of Christ to be reminded that we belong fully and completely to a sovereign king and what he did for us. I remember college, I read a number of C.S. Lewis books. Um, And some of you loved C.S. Lewis, and you should. He's just such a marvelous, profoundly simple writer. But it wasn't until seminary days that I actually read the Chronicles of Narnia. It felt like a kindergarten read, you know, so I always put it off. Didn't read them. And then I took a Christmas vacation. I read all of them in They're so good, right? There's a reason why, why they made at least one into a movie. You know, when I read the first one, the most popular, The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, and actually that's not the first one. But um, the one that made me the maddest, and at the same time, the one I identified with was Edmund, right? You know the story, in which... For a little Turkish delight, at the hand of an evil queen, he succumbed to her temptation. He became greedy, greedy for power, and then betrayed his family. You read it or you watch the movie, you're just like, I can't believe you'd be so stupid. Turkish delight. Why Turkish delight? Seriously, I don't even like Turkish delight. But he fell for it and found himself completely and utterly enslaved and tormented. And it always gets me every time that that central piece where Aslan the Great Lion offers to take the place of Edmund. And he's shaved, he's humiliated, and he's killed. All for a, a boy who wanted Turk's delight, who betrayed his family. You know, and I read that and I thought, you know, the fact of the matter is, I'm, Edmund makes me mad, but Edmund is me. And he's you. We give in for Turkish delight all the time. Whatever that is for you. And then to know that the stone table cracked. And he came to life. And at the end, you know, Edmund the sinner is given a crown. That's... That's what the blood of Christ has done for us. It took away our sin and gave us a crown. We're not supposed to walk around as sinners anymore. We're supposed to walk around knowing that, you know, God has called us to be a kingdom and priests. That's who we are. We are supposed to live in the victory of that identity rather than hang our heads thinking, we have no power, we're helpless. You know, the only, the only institution, if I can call it that. Maybe I should call it a people. Maybe I should call it an organism. The only organism on planet Earth that can truly change the world, guess what it is? It's you. It's the Christian. It's the one who has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You offer the only hope that the world has of change. That's the first part. Reliance completely upon the fact that he bought us. We don't belong to this world anymore. You look at the devil and you say, you know what? I don't belong to you. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. But he lives in me. Always coming back to that. Number one, we conquer him by the blood of the lamb. Period. That's the beginning point. Second, He goes on to say, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their own lives, even unto death. They they loved the testimony and the word so much that they'd be willing to give their lives for it. The word of their testimony. What he's talking about here is the gospel. The simple, unadorned, unadulterated gospel. The message of the good news. Which isn't good advice, it's good news. It's good news is something God has done. It's a fact of history. And that good news, we're told, has the power to save. The power to awaken life. The power to recreate. Right? Isn't that Paul's statement in Romans? It's like It is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel itself. Just simply being able to say, listen, We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once lived. We were by very nature objects of wrath. That every human who has ever lived and will live will give an account and be held accountable and judged according to what they have done. Everybody. That is a a fearful truth. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a holy God. That's, 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 the, that's the bad news, but the good news, of course, is that God himself, at great expense, at the ultimate expense to himself, right, took upon himself our sin, our guilt, and died and paid for the whole thing, once for all. And he offers life to everyone who will believe, life now and also life to come in the new creation. That itself is the simple gospel. And it has the power to change, transform, awaken Life. The question is, do we really believe that? Or do we feel helpless because we've lost faith in the power of the gospel? That's the question. Like when we look out into our world, we see the big heavy hitters. We see media moguls. We have CNN. We have NBC and ABC. And we have a a sense in which we can't compete with that. The Christian is powerless against that big of a microphone, that big of an attention scope. Really? It seems to me that the only power that the giants of media have is to inform and or deceive and manipulate. No ability to transform, change for the good, from the inside out, to make people morally from the heart, more like Christ, it doesn't have that power. Like, next to the power of the gospel, I think Paul would say, those, those things don't even hold a candle. If the Christian will simply recognize, once again, that if we are able to speak the testimony of the word of the blood of the Lamb, the world changes. In the Revelation of John, the churches are called lampstands. That's chapter one and chapter two, three. Lamp give light. They give light to dark places. Part of the mission of the church in a dark world is to give light. That is to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And where we don't do that, we're being disobedient. So the question is, because we come here, we gather at Parkway Community Church, and people gather around the community in their churches, and we preach the gospel to each other. Right? That's what we're doing right now. But are we doing it outside these walls? Are you doing it outside your home? Do you have a passion, a passion to pray for and then to speak the gospel to your neighbors, to the people you work with? That's an honest question. I'm not trying to guilt people. Just are we passionate about taking the only power that can change a person's life and speaking it into another person's life? Or have we cowered? Or have we lost conviction that the gospel pierces the heart? Maybe you can remember back, remember back to the time you, you first heard it. I do. And it, it pierced me in a way that only the power of God can do. Church, we have to let that out, we have to be resolved. This part of our weaponry God has given us that has divine power to destroy strongholds is the gospel itself. Not just in here, but out there. It might strike you to hear, as funny I should say, to hear that the primary purpose of the church is not to be an instrument of social reform. Let me say that again. The primary purpose of the church is not to be an instrument of social reform, but ministers of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. Social reform will happen, may happen, as we, in obedience to Jesus by the grace of God, love our neighbors as ourselves. Change will happen when we learn to do the hard work of loving our enemies, blessing those who curse curse us and doing good to those who do wrong to us. And I don't see a lot of that in the church. We have picked our sides and we have our enemies that we have demonized. And where's the love of the enemy that Jesus displayed and taught us to live? So yes, there will be social change as a result of our loving our neighbors, ourselves and loving our enemies. But our primary purpose is, as a church and as Christians is to testify to the saving power of Jesus Christ. I think all of us need to hear that. I should say this too, you know And I understand, you know as divided as our world is, and that 's part of the devil's tool belt, right? He's the deceiver, He deceives, he distracts, he divides and destroys. Is he's, I think he's quite, quite honestly okay with us pushing out our pithy little tweets or our, our compelling, cogent, logically argued Facebook posts. But I think the devil is just yawns, goes, ah, whatever. You don't care, because it doesn't present any kind of a threat. But as soon as you prayerfully and humbly have the courage and boldness to speak Jesus, to those locked in darkness, he sits up. He says, you know what? Uh, we, gotta, we gotta silence this. We gotta stomp this out. Now we're in trouble. Martin Lloyd-Jones, some 50 years ago, don't hold me to the exact year, but I was listening to a sermon, and he talked about this. He was a preacher in Brit- Britain. And he said, you know, if, if you commit yourself to social reform, that is, you're doing good, you're doing good for, for children and orphans and all those things, which are good things as part of what it means to love. He says, The world will applaud you. The unbelieving world will applaud you. Even evil people will applaud you. But the minute you speak Jesus, the applause stops. Because that's when the enemy is thrown down. Church, I'm saying we have to recenter ourselves, recommit ourselves, and perhaps repent if we have lost sight of our primary purpose as ministers of the power of the gospel, the simple gospel. Do you hear this? They're just asking us. That's where the power resides. You are an instrument by which the world can be changed as you minister the gospel. So it's the blood. It is the gospel. And the last, but certainly not least, is Prayer. It's a prominent theme in the book of Revelation. Chapter 5. I'm going to um, take you to three different little places, and then we'll take communion together. I failed to, to bring this out when I preached in chapter 5, and I kind of regretted it, which this gives me a chance to do what I didn't do. So chapter 5, we have this vision, again, of Jesus, uh, described in picture of a lamb with seven horns. It says, verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. That's Jesus taking authority over history. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is a beautiful image: golden bowls, something of great value, that are full of incense—not half full, but full of incense. And in the, the the worship of the Jewish people, you would have understood; they would have understood what this incense is. Is that the incense is a, this aromatic aroma? That God, like, breathes in and delights in. He takes the pleasure in it. And here's this picture of these bowls full of this incense, this aromatic incense, that, that now these 24 elders are delivering, which are the prayers of the saints. Like, into the throne room of God, into the throne room of the Creator. They're, like, rising up to the one who's seated on the throne. That's, that's the prayers of you, and this prayers of me. They're rising up. We have the ear of God because of the blood of Jesus. He listens to us. And I think, again, sometimes we live in doubt that he actually listens, that he pays attention, that he wants to and will hear our cries and respond. So here's this picture of these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, rising up to the pleasure of the Creator. And then if you flip over to chapter 6, He starts opening the seals, and he sees things. And one of the things he sees, the fifth seal, is souls praying. Again, second time we see this is, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. There it is again, the word, the gospel. That is, they're willing to give their lives because the gospel was that important. And for the witness they had borne. They were faithful to bear witness to Christ. Verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell in the earth? Now this is a cry for vengeance. In Ephesians 6, Paul is praying for the opportunity to speak the gospel for salvation. You have salvation and vengeance. And by the way, this is the best way to express your anger to the Lord over injustice Vengeance is the Lord's, so we offer it up to him. How long, O Lord, until you take vengeance, those who dwell on the earth? That is, those who have murdered God's people. Verse 11, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So they're told, you know what? I hear your prayers. The incense has risen up to me. Wait a little longer. But it's going to come. And then in chapter 8, it does come. Again, a theme of our prayers are like aromatic incense that are rising up into the creator's throne room. He's hearing our prayers. And then in chapter 8, he makes good on his answer. Chapter 8, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So they're brought to the very altar at the very presence of God. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. A picture of judgment. The point being, church, is that you are not helpless in a society adrift in the dark waters of a destructive sea. You're far from helpless. Every time you kneel down and you pray to God Almighty, Lord, please bring salvation to my neighbor's home, Lord, please, will you bring evil to an end? It's like incense that rises before the throne of God and he will answer it in his time. Like I said, we're we're not helpless, not as believers. The moment that we think that we are helpless, we have lost faith in one who we are as those who've been bought by the blood of Christ. We've forgotten the power of the message and we've forgotten that God says to us, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways. I will hear. I will answer and I will hear and show my power. Church, we are not not helpless. And I want to encourage us um, as we find ourselves by the sovereign choice of God living in this time, space, and season, in this country, in this city, to recognize that we've been called to engage. God has delivered to us not weapons of flesh, but weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. As we live in the blood of Christ, carrying the message of Christ, and then bowing on our knees to pray in the name of Christ. This is what we should be doing. This is our weapons of war. The minute we think that we have to have a, an audience of 10,000 subscribers to make a difference, you've, you've relied upon means of the flesh, not means of the spirit. I think all of us need to hear this. I think we need to recenter ourselves, recommit ourselves, church, to these. Simply, just let's commit ourselves to all right, Lord, I want to live in your blood. I want to remind myself each day, this is who I am. And I want to be faithful like they were to the testimony of the word, even willing to give their lives so that people can hear. And either it will be an aroma of life to those who are coming to life or death to those who are perishing. And then to recognize, God, God, you hear us and our prayers rise to you like incense. That's what we should be. That's where the power of the church is. Those are the weapons of war that God has given to us to engage the world around us. And may I ask you as you come to the um, Lord's Supper this morning to recommit yourself to these things. To, as you take the elements, the bread being the body and the, the, the cup being the blood, I mean, we're talking about, again, that the center of history in which the lamb gave his life for us. Just ask him, Lord, will you help me to resolve in my own life, and my own heart, to keep the main thing the main thing, to fight with the weapons that you have given to us of blood, gospel, and prayer. If you didn't pick up a, um, a packet, you probably did when you came in, um, Well, you can go back and you can follow us or do it later. Um, But I just want to encourage you, if you would, at this time, to take out that little packet. And if you would take the peel off the cracker portion. And let's take this together, remembering and also praying to resolve. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Whenever you take this, remember me. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the new covenant, which is for you. As often as you drink it, remember me. pray. Gracious Father, we come to you and just ask, in the name of Jesus, if you would soften our hearts. We pray that where there was doubt, doubt about your power, doubt about your earnestness to hear and answer our prayers, that you would rebuild faith, faith to trust faith in your power, faith in the gospel, enable us to live boldly for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his word. We pray this in his great name. Amen.